Welcome to In The Know. The Pelicans are on a massive losing streak. Here to talk about it, me and Mason, uh, just kind of let it all out. Talk about what's going on. Why aren't they winning games? What are they going to do with the trade deadline? Are they even going to make it to their game in Dallas? Uh, all that and more. Before we start, this podcast is sponsored by Birdsaw Law Firm, the official injury lawyers of Food Crew Media, located at 918 Poitier Street by the Superdome. Give them a call at 504-523-5413. If you or someone you know has been involved in an accident, make sure you mention we sent you. That's uh, Birdsaw Law Firm, the official injury lawyers of Boot Crew Media. Uh, I need them injury lawyers to come uh, lawyer up about the injuries that the Pelicans have going on because they are in the midst of a nine-game losing streak. Brandon Ingham has come back. Uh, he's played three out of the four games um, since he's come back. He played two, sat out on the second night of a back-to-back, did not play that game, um, played against the Nuggets last night, has not looked like himself in any capacity, way, shape, or form, uh, and the Pelicans keep sliding. Mason, how are, how are you handling all of this? What are your thoughts? Let it let it all out. Let us let us hear it. Man, first on the injury thing, uh, did you uh, did did the local broadcast air last night, or was it just TNT? I just watched the TNT one. I was yeah. It's like Stan Van Gundy went in and like he he was he went to bat for New Orleans. I've, I've always thought it was interesting when, when Stan Van Gundy talks about the Pelicans because you know I think the. I, the, the point of comparison is always that Mark Jackson with the talking about Warriors games and him kind of feeling a little bit bitter afterwards. And Stan's like the opposite. Stan is like very po- positive about the Pelicans. And he said a lot of things to like caveat why they're losing with all the injuries. But he's like, they just can't stay healthy. They can't keep stars healthy. Like the, the terminology, the way he actually said it, we can't, the Pelicans cannot keep their stars healthy, which just like felt like a, a shot at the med staff just with the way he phrases it. Because I don't know. I thought, I thought that was really – Really interesting way he he worded that because you can say like it's the injuries have been the problem without saying they haven't been able to keep players healthy and so um, I don't know um, just a random aside that I thought about when you mentioned the uh, the injury lawyer <laughs> the lawyer thing um, but um, but no it's been it's been not uh, been not great um, this it's still wild to think that um, I witnessed the last win. <laughs> For the Pelicans, oh I was in Det- the, it was the it was in Detroit against the Pistons. That's the last time the Pelicans won a basketball game, and so holy crap! <laughs> um, wow, <yes. laughs> something to think about. The Pelicans are like are on a you know cleaning the glass in the league summary. They they show the overall and they show the last two weeks. The Pelicans are the second worst team in that rating in the NBA over the last two weeks, uh, ahead of only the miserable San Antonio Spurs. Uh, so that's not good, um, and it is frustrating because. Um, we were talking right before the, the show started. I know Ingram's been out for most of it, but this team now with Ingram is, in theory, the exact same team that closed out this regular season last year and played a really hard-fought series against the Phoenix Suns last year. And so they just need Brandon Ingram to get back in this, and round into his you know prior form, and the the team just needs to like. I don't know. It just seems like a, it seems like we're watching a different team with the same players versus what we saw down the stretch last season. Um, and again, small sample size because Ingram's just getting back and they were and missing him and Zion's a problem. But, um, but yeah, cur- curious what your take is, especially you know in the more recent games where we're seeing Ingram back with this team. What's you know what's different? Man, uh, I mean, first and foremost, 
Brandon Ingram is different, right? He's not himself. Um, he's has almost as many turnovers as made baskets. Um, he's offensively just not been there, defensively just not been there. And uh, I think everybody understands that when you miss two months, 29 games, um, it's not unreasonable to expect a level of rust, uh, an adjustment period, a ramp-up period. Um, I don't think anyone's taking that away from him. But the point remains is that's a compounding issue of him missing that much time. First of all, him missing that much time hurts you. Uh, and then the time it takes for him to adjust also hurts you. And that's got to be part of the calculus when thinking about long-term team building around another star who faces similar um, time and ramp up concerns, right? Every time Zion's come back, I mean, I guess he hasn't been on burst minutes for a long time, but there's, you know, there's always an asterisk when, when Zion comes back and whether that's like, Oh, we're, you know, we're just not going to let him do the point guard stuff yet. Cause he's got to get back in the conditioning or, you know, whether it's, it's, it's him um, looking like a traffic cone on defense um, because that often happens with Zion too, right? It takes him a while to get back into game shape and, and most noticeably you see it on defense um to when you're when you're building around these two guys like something's got to shake that that's got to be part of of the long-term future now if you're you know wildly optimistic that hey these are just you know freak accident one-off things you know they can power through it then maybe you know maybe you don't uh, account for it but that's something uh, i personally have started to think more and more about i think a lot of people start to think more and more about um <clears throat> when evaluating the pairing and then two specifically regarding like what's different with this team man i I'll be honest. It, it just seems like offensively, there's just no plan. Um, there's no cohesive purpose. Like the entire identity is like defensive base and credit to them. They've done a really good job on defense and particularly in, in the half court, even, I don't know what it is now, but like when they were in, when it was like eight straight losses in a row, um, it was after the Milwaukee game. They were during that stretch, they were 30th in offense and it was, they were five points away from 29th, five points per 100 away from 29th. Um, so they were like 30th by a mile, like not even close. And then they were 13th on defense and like ninth in rebounding. And, you know, if you consider how many bad turnover games they've had or just bad games in transition, uh, the fact that they were just 13th in defense period is, is a testament to the fact that their defense has been rock solid, like all year, no matter what. Sure. And, you know, you have outlier games here there. Every team does. No one's, perfect defensively every year and i see this like rim protection stat floating around like oh you know felt like another worst rim protecting team and it's like i get it but like if you look at how they defend schematically they, they they bring their bigs away from the basket um they you know they when especially when larry's out there he's just switching everything there is no rim protection and their defensive identity is based on the fact that they're not going to let you get to the rim and and they're one of the best teams in the league at preventing you getting to the rim their rim deterrence is actually really really good um they're good at forcing turnovers they're one of the best teams at um generating steals and and so they have other markers of a really good defense it's just you know people love to focus specifically on one thing and sure that that'd be a welcome addition to the team i'm not i'm not gonna say that here oh the pelicans don't need rim protection but it's not you know the root cause or the um or the fix all that's gonna like make them start winning games it's not the defense it's the fact that they can't score the ball last night against the Denver Nuggets. They had their best offensive game in a long time. 
the offensive rating that game was 111.9, which would have been 25th for the, for, for, for the league, 25th amongst all teams. Um, so it just, just goes to show you it's not a good offense. And to compound that, the offense, when Brandon was on the court, the offensive rating was 97. And, and it's just like the bench was doing the lifting. And, and the starters, again, just could not get it going. So um, in terms of, yeah, like Brandon's not been playing up to his usual self. That contributes to it. But it just seems to me offensively, they just, the staff doesn't really have control over what Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum are doing. It's just like, hey, you guys are very talented players. We pay you a lot of money. Go do stuff. Uh, make stuff happen. Um, and that is their responsibility partially. But from a coaching standpoint, it just seems like they're freestyling out there into just mid-range shots, which is their comfort zone. And, and they're not choosing to attack mismatches. They're not creating advantages for other players. There was a moment um, last night where at the end of uh, the half, CJ had a little step back mid-range shot that he made. Meanwhile, Trey was open in the corner for about 15 seconds and you can hear him clap, like get me the ball. And CJ just does not see him blinders on. And it's like, yeah, CJ made that shot. He's been shooting 38% from mid range this season, which is a horrible efficiency. Herb Jones has been more efficient from three on a points per possession basis than Brandon yep. Ingram uh, from, from mid range. And Brandon Ingram had like another one last night. And I posted it and people like just were like, oh, this is his shot selection. He had one last night where he's coming off a double, uh, a, a, a double screen. He gets it, um, is in prime position to attack Jokic downhill. Jokic is completely flat-footed. He doesn't engage Jokic at all. Just pulls up for a um, you know 19-foot mid-range shot, 20-foot mid-range shot. Just completely lets the defense off the hook. And it's like this is this is terrible offense. This is like I understand you're paid to make that shot, yeah. But you know, most of the time you don't. You can get that shot whenever you want. And if you can really attack uh, a guy who's not a known rim protector, a guy that you know Herb Jones has been attacking all night and like putting you in the bonus of getting to the free throw line with. Like there's no reason you should settle for that shot at that time. And um, there just really needs to be an organizing force for the Pelicans offense. And for a long time, that was Zion. And, and, and frankly, we haven't seen that like all together because like when they were all together, like it's definitely seemed like Zion was um, secondary to BI and CJ uh, in, in terms of like the looks that he was getting, the touches that he was getting. Um, but when, when, when those guys were out, like it, it became very clearly Zion's team. And the hope was when everyone got healthy, it would remain that way. You know, Zion first, you know, he initiates things. He creates the advantages, creates the holes and everyone else kind of fills in when they need to. And then you rely on the tough shot making of BI and CJ when things get really, truly tough to like blow the wall open that they're going to build for, for Zion. But just doesn't seem like there's any cohesive principle offensively and that's a complaint that I have had since last season in in that they just work so hard to generate the looks they just don't generate easy looks all that often yeah yeah it's um it's a I, I don't know I, I'm trying I'm trying to like watch some of the other stuff that's going on um and, and like what the you know Ingram's return has done to the rest of the rotation and and roles and things like that and I feel like I feel like it's kind of been a mixed bag. Um, you know, Herb had a really good game last night. Um, you know, I, I think he, you've mentioned it. He, he's in, you know, can, he can play 
when he can play off stars like 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 what he was doing last night, and not just be a spot up guy, but somebody who's actually moving. Um, the, the the good activity he was he was showing, I think that was that was nice to see. Larry Nance played a great game. Um, but I look at also on the other hand, guys like Najee. It feels like I don't know, kind of feel like Najee has gotten lost in the in all the shuffle over the last few games, and he's not. I know he came back from injury, but he hasn't been the same guy. Uh, yeah, who 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 was really, um, a. a you know, a strong offensive and defensive force for this Pelicans team when they were missing guys. And so um, I do feel like you know, to a, to a, to a large extent, it's about exactly what you're saying that the offense seems kind of listless. It's, you know, go, go, go make, make shots, shot makers. Um, but I think that also has a trickle down effect to the roles of some of the other guys on the team. Um, and if, if we don't, if there's not really a, a cohesive game plan on the offensive end, um, that's going to, create additional problems when you're mixing up rotations and, and then trying to reintegrate guys to playing with, with each other. Um, so I, I think, you know, maybe before Najee would be one of the lead playmakers and especially if he came back in with bench units, be that guy, but now he's coming alongside uh, BI or CJ, even those bench units. And um, so I, I think there's some current concerns too, about the roles players are kind of assuming when they're coming back uh, or, or when they're playing with guys that maybe they haven't played with in a little bit. Yeah, I mean, like, I think, I don't know. We can belabor this point um, <laughs> endlessly. Uh, so I think I think you summed it up really nicely there. I, I think the one last thing I want to touch on regarding that is Devontae Graham still getting minutes. <laughs> so <sighs> Not Kyra, just minutes. The very first guy off the bench last night. Like, that was Kyra, Kyra, um, bless his heart, uh, got sent to the G League during the homestand um, where, where they probably could have used him, right? And uh, he didn't play too well uh, up in the G. And, you know, that's, that is what it is. And he comes back uh, against Milwaukee, against a fully healthy Milwaukee. Um, and he's going against Giannis. He's going against Brooke. He's going against Drew. You know, he's going against all those guys. Seven for 10, you know, puts up uh, 15 points. Um, looks fantastic in transition. Just, you know, uh, he had Joe Ingles looking like a statue out there. Just, you know, flat-footed, slow as molasses. Now you're playing this team. Well, they asked, they asked Willie Green, you know, about uh, if Kyra's going to get some more minutes after this kind of performance. And I think he said, oh, yeah, it's something we're going to have to look at. And fast forward, next game, they're playing against the Denver Nuggets, who are completely lacking in terms of paint protection, rim protection. Um, specifically, their bench just does not have any kind of oomph um, defensively. And they don't want to run with you. Kyra gets zero minutes, zero. And it's like, okay, well, this is the 13th pick. That's a complete waste of a pick at this point. Complete. And, and it's, it's not, you know, I'm not going to say it's like the front office's fault necessarily for making that pick. Uh, and it's certainly not Kyra's fault for, for getting injured and, you know, just um, becoming an afterthought in the rotation, but that's a resource completely uh, unused. And, and it doesn't seem like it's going to get used anytime soon uh, unless there are very, very dire circumstances. And so, yeah, I mean, I hear it when people say like the Pelicans could have traded that 13th pick for a role player that would be playing right now or um, literally anything. Like you just can't get minutes out of that person. Uh, why? Why? Yeah. It's, it's like, it, it kind of feels like the conversation we had with Trey Murphy last year, <laughs> except the, the problem is that Kyra isn't, you know, he wasn't a rookie last year. You know, he's coming yeah. up on, you know, his next. Uh, he's his. He's got one year left, right? Or he's he's got one. He, year. He's extension eligible this yeah. summer. 
Um, I don't think they're going to lock him to any, any kind of extension. But yeah, he's got one year left after this. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just it's a uh, disappointing that he's not given a chance um, to 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 show what he can do because they have to make that decision. We we talked about this last episode, and obviously, obviously, it hasn't changed much. And here we are talking about it again. So. Um, you know, maybe by next episode we, we can talk, you know, talk about something else and because Devontae's been traded or something like that because the deadline's coming up. So um, lots, uh, lots to unpack there as well. Speaking of the deadline, lots of players that the Pelicans have been tied to, rumor-wise. Um, one, one person that we've discussed on this podcast uh, at length. Actually, we've discussed all of these guys. There hasn't been a single guy we have not discussed at length. Gary Trent, maybe not not too much, but the rest of the guys yeah. we have. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, John Collins is, is it seems like, you know, one that's been part of the focus in terms of reporting rumors, et cetera. Uh, recently, I think the reported trade package or offering was Devontae Jackson Najee with like no picks. Obviously, Atlanta is not going to say yes to that, and definitely has not said yes to that once the trade would have been done. Um, but you know that kind of like illustrates the starting point, I guess, or um, a point of like you know how comfortable the Pelicans are putting in real assets or, or whatnot. Um, that'd be an absolute heist if they were, <laughs> were able to pull that off specifically. Um, how you know we 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 talked about Collins, we talked about his his potential at playing the five. Um, do you still like? I guess like, where are you at now? Since we first discussed him on that initial pod, you know, the Pelicans have just been terrible. Um, they haven't won many games at all, mm-hmm. and so does your idea of what they need is it is it different? You know, and and are you like more on or off the John Collins bandwagon? Uh, where, where do you stand? I'd say a little bit more. Um, the reason being that. Look, you're seeing that a big hole. In the, we, we've talked about the strengths and weaknesses of the Pelicans, even at full strength. We need to acknowledge the fact that one of their weaknesses is they can't stay healthy. <laughs> their stars can't stay healthy. And so I think the, the the appeal of John Collins for this team has additional intrigue to me because of the because of the injury concerns. Collins is a guy we've seen it in his career. He can get he can get you buckets. Like he can help you on the offensive end. Um, you know. When you have other guys out, and I think that is something that makes you know the idea of him a little bit more uh, appealing to me. Um, I think the challenge. So I want to push back. I want to push back a little bit here. Okay, right, go for it. Yeah, you could say kind of like what you just said about Jonas. Right, he can get you buckets while other guys are out. Yep. Pels haven't shown a tremendous amount of interest in utilizing Jonas that way. <laughs> that's unless that's it's a fair point. Yeah. For a particular matchup. Um, and, and John Collins has also fallen to the wayside uh, in Atlanta because there's other mouths to feed with DeJounte Murray entering the, the fray, Clint Capella being the primary role guy, uh, role man, um, screener. Uh, and then, uh, you know, DeAndre Hunter, they also gave him big money. So they got a. a adjust for that so <laughs> is there any level of confidence that you have that columns will be utilized more in a fashion that allows them to produce at a level where he you know he did have that 21 and 10 year yeah i i think i have less of a concern although i've yelled about it so i can't say it hasn't been a, hasn't been a concern for me but i think my my concerns with Jonas mainly have been his 
his minutes when the team is more at full strength. Do I think that they've, you know, let CJ try to cook when they should have just been playing through Jonas in the post before? Yeah, it was happening in the Pistons game that I was watching live down the stretch. They should have been going through Jonas. There was said CJ was dribbling around and, and trying to do stuff. And while, while Jonas is sitting there with Nerlens Noel, and he was not getting the ball. So, like, that's a clear, that is clearly a concern for me. But I think at least with Collins, I would expect that Willie would trust him more down the stretch. If, if he's trying to go with this small, switchy lineup, I, I think that maybe Collins would play more. And the, the second part of where I was, was going to go is that if the Pelicans want to maximize their title chances this season in the Collins trade, Jonas isn't the guy going out. I think it's Nance. And so like, I don't know, or if, if you're, if you're putting together that, that type of deal, because um, I don't see if you get Collins, I just don't see a place for Larry Nance. Like he's not gonna be closing games anymore. It should be Collins or else what are you doing training for John Collins in the first place? And so um, I, I think you need Jonas and Collins to be able to kind of play different styles. Um <laughs> Fingers crossed that there is an ability to adapt to styles that, that I know we haven't seen that. So a lot of this is me assuming any sort of positive changes occur with the coaching staff, which I don't know if we have essentially necessarily the track record to suggest that, but that I, I would like to see a, a, a you know, a, a one of the two bigs kept this season. If you're going to get Collins, I'd rather see Jonas kept. Um, and, and then this off season, you've got other questions to answer, but um, what, I mean, how do, how do you see it? Yeah, so I mean, like again, assuming that reporting is accurate, it definitely doesn't seem like JV's part of the deal at right. this moment, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe in the future, maybe in a different deal. So if you had a situation where it was JV, Collins, Nance, and then you have Zion, right? Doesn't seem like there's enough minutes for all of them. You gotta cut it out right. somewhere. Right. Um, I don't think you can just eliminate the JV minutes entirely. Like he is a better player than Nance. Like regardless of what yes. Willie Green might think, I don't know if they actually think this, but he's a better player than Nance. You can't just cut those minutes, even if you just start John Collins at the five. Yeah. Um, and and you're right that Collins is more of a super Larry, right? He's the, in theory maybe not as talented defensively, but certainly better on the glass, better scoring, better shooting, all of the other, you know other other things, and and. You know, it allows you to close small while still having rebounding on the floor, but you're still switching everything and getting just a little bit more offensive right. oomph. Um, you know, that's that's the appeal there. I don't think the coaching staff would see it that way. <laughs> Isn't <laughs> it frustrating? Like that's the that's the challenge we're having here. Um, you're gonna see like JV just on the bench next to Billy Hernan Gomez <laughs> and just probably cursing out people in their own languages. You know, Billy in Spanish, JV in Lithuanian. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's my expectation of what would happen. And then they would find a home for, uh, JV either this summer or maybe just in a different deal at the deadline. Um, and we'd be looking for a big, a rebounding big, <laughs> that's trademark it after we traded. Yeah. We sure would a post presence, a rebounding, big, someone that can handle the big, <laughs> like Jonas, <laughs> someone like Jonas. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's how I think of it, you know, and, and I think part of, part of that plays into I'm a little lukewarm on Collins now because I need to see what the rest of the moves look like. Sure. And if I can, you know, if, if, if the inevitable writing on the wall is this is going to be a JV less team, then I need to, I need to add shooting. And, and, and so like, if I'm compromising the rebounding, I'm compromising, you know, that kind of scoring 
um, then let me just lean in to offense that fits. And, and in my vision of offense that fits is putting more shooting around their athletes, allowing John Collins to dive and roll in space and run pick and rolls with Zion in a spread yeah. floor. Um, so go, you know, if you can, I, I think I posted something today and he commented on it that brought back John Collins and Gary Trent. Um, and if, you know, like who cares about that specific trade, but if that's, if you walk away from the deadline and you're starting five with CJ Trent, B.I., Zion, Don Collins, yeah, you know, they're probably not going to rebound at a super high level. I think they'll be above average, to be honest. Um, this is a good team rebounding team. Uh, in general, they have been, but um, I'm, I'm sure like, the bigger teams will, will eat them alive on the glass. But who's going to keep up with them offensively? That's a very, very fast-paced offensive team, as long as C.J.'s not just slowing everything up. Yeah, I I, I think the, the one piece of the um... – now, we, you know, we talked about how Jonas maybe hasn't been utilized the right way. The one thing that's been disappointing to me on, on that front, especially recently, is that what one of the big strengths of this Pelicans team to start the season, and this is with Zion healthy too, was their ability to be able to draw fouls and get into the bonus early. And so going away from that, going away from Jonas, I, Jonas is a, is a guy who can go and, you know, draw you know create a mismatch and go draw a foul in the post and i i think that has value especially as you get back guys like you know ingram who are who you know who, who are regardless of how much how many shots are hitting the mid-range they draw attention defenses care about them and they're you know they have an increased ability to pick up non-shooting fouls to pick up uh you know fouls with you know if they're moving off the ball if they're you know uh, using the pick and roll to create mismatches like i feel like that's something that we're not seeing right now um, and, and that you know, the, the way to, to really also limit tr- opponent transition opportunities is to not brick shots and let teams get out and run. If you can get to the free throw line, even if you miss the second free throw, you're not going to create, they're not opponents, not going to create a transition opportunity out of that. And so, you know, the other thing is if you never miss a shot, the opposing team never has a chance to rebound and you will always win the rebounding battle, no matter what, unless they also go perfect. So, so just don't miss buckets and they won't yeah. get any rebounds. I mean, it's that simple. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so and like, but like even what well, we've also seen the, you know, a Pelicans opponents push after made shots. Uh, uh, you know, right. the Pelicans make a shot, but you know when you, that doesn't happen is after a made free throw. That, that that just there's no no one's caught out of position in that situation. And so I don't know. I'm, I'm just I, I feel like the Pelicans could do be, be could be doing a better job of generating fouls and getting trying to get into the penalty earlier, which then should help your defense. Uh, your, uh, so I just additional points of frustration with the game plan. Okay, so we we, we touched on. John Collins, the other guy, you know, we, we, I mentioned, and that was Gary Trent Jr. Reporting came out today that the Raptors would be looking at something like two seconds or a protected first to kind of make the deal work. Uh, that seems like a reasonable price. If you think about it, he has a player uh, option that he's most likely going to opt out of uh, this summer. He's looking for big money reports. Say he's looking for 20 to 25 million annually. Um, if you look at the kind of like shooters around his, uh, you know, around his skill set, Norm Powell, Tim Hardaway Jr., uh, even Duncan Robinson and Joe Harris, all of those guys got that kind of money. Um, so it's not unreasonable for him to ask for that amount. I don't know you know, what he's eventually going to end up getting, but that seems to be the market for uh, a starting two guard that can shoot, basically. Um, and he, you know, 
the the two seconds things was interesting to me and, and i think it makes sense because like you know if you look at when pelicans had nikola meritage he was an expiring contract the best they could get was four seconds um out of that and so when when, when players are effectively expiring contracts they're looked at as three months rentals the, the teams trying to trade them don't have a tremendous amount of leverage tell us um, the rockets with eric gordon the Rockets are just plain stupid, man. It took them 10 years to figure out Alperin Singoon is their best player, and they still don't really run through to him. Um, anyways, yeah, so I, I can see Trent Jr. being available for cheap, uh, but if he's available for cheap, that just means like other teams are also going to be after him. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of teams bunched up in the West that are looking to claw their way out of this. Uh, it's just, I mean, I think he'd be a good fit. I, I don't think there's any disagreement about about his fit it's just like are you willing to then pay him his next deal and if you are and how are you reshaping your roster to accommodate that yeah yeah one little nugget that i think is interesting i'm just i was looking at real gm the Pelicans island the, uh wait what get it little nugget sorry Anyways, uh, continue. Nice. i do get it nice sorry um <laughs> newborn parent brain dead right now um but i the Pelicans have a shockingly small amount of second round picks to offer. <laughs> um, so they have, they're getting the the bulls in 2024. Their 2023 goes to Atlanta. If it's, if it's not, if it's worse than 45. So which, you know, obviously you hope that, but maybe, you know, who knows at this point, their 2025 second rounder is going to Memphis. The 2027 second rounder is going to Portland. Um, they've got a swap with, uh, someone for 2026. But anyway, I, I say that because there, there was this uh, conversation that uh, around um, the, the late, the Lakers recent trade and giving up um, multiple, multiple second round picks to the wizards. And right now that's a, that is a finite resource to a degree. You can't just go buy one in, in the middle of the season, right? That usually happens around draft time. So the Pelicans just, had three this past, this past draft, they had three and, and you know, the one they ended up taking 55 was, was Carla Makovich, EJ Liddell, they used one on, um and the third one i believe they sold um and you know they got see brown and undrafted stuff so i think it was yeah. or they, they traded for like indian i don't know what they did they did something with it yeah so i mean so they've got uh right as far as what they have available to trade they've got 2024 from chicago and then 2026 and i guess 28 so they don't have a ton of seconds to trade uh so if that's and you know, if they want to go after Trent and trade a couple seconds for, I still think, I mean, I, I would happily do that, but just worth noting that there's not, they don't have a lot of like additional seconds to throw at trades and stuff. Yeah. But could you get like, you know, a second round pick for Billy Hernan Gomez and just slide him into someone's, you know, trade exception that that's like yeah. perfect. Yeah. I, I think they have ways of like generating those seconds at any, you know, at any point they need to be right that there's not a lot of liquidity here at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what I mean, you you mentioned um, in the Collins proposal that including Najee in a trade like that. What do you, what do you think his because because that was I saw I heard Zach Lowe's um, your proposal bones for Najee. What do you think his like market value is? What do you like uh, other other NBA teams to like? What would they what would you give up for Najee? I'm going to answer your question with another question: Is Jay Crowder worth more or less than Najee? <laughs> I would give up more for 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 Najee than for Jay Crowder, some dude that's been sitting at home for months and already looked like he was declining last year. The counter argument is that Jay Crowder is like playoff experience know, and played in the finals multiple yeah. times and yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I mean, like I, I think they're comparable players uh, at this juncture. 
Um, you know what you're getting on a Najee night and night out. You know what you're getting on Jay Crowder night and night out, theoretically. They're both like hustle guys, energy guys, culture guys. Um, brick, yeah, brick for both. Brick threes for like four straight games and then makes it rain the fifth. <laughs> it's pretty yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the, the difference is Najee, I think, is a lot better at putting the ball on the floor and yes. a lot better at, at, at playmaking. Um, and and I think Jay Crowder is probably better at rebounding, but we don't really know. Um, so, you know, I, I think he's got to be looked at as like a rotation player uh, at the very least. I don't think he's going to fetch a first outright, yep. but yep. Um, sheesh. Yeah. I mean, I could see a contender like, like, like if, if, I don't know, is Bones Island worth a worth first outright? Because if you do a Bones for Najee trade, then the transitive property is worth a first. So uh, maybe like a, the 28th pick in the draft. Who knows? Um, I would suspect his, his, his value is more in the line of three, like two to three seconds or four seconds, which is a he's more valuable to us than he is to you type of deal. Like, like I like I don't think the Pelicans are going to do much for like three or four seconds. Obviously, they can go use those seconds to go draft the next Najee, but they kind of need a Najee-type player right now because they're losing a lot of games. Right. You need to trade him for a player. I don't I don't see any scenario where the Pelicans would make sense for the Pelicans to trade Najee for, for a pick or anything like that. Yeah. Anyway, hey, good problem to have, right? That's not, I mean, we didn't think he'd be part of the rotation to start the year. So, yeah, so if we'll he's, you it. know, the, the the sweetener that like makes a deal work, that's yeah. a really good problem to have. I mean, it's it's kind of found money, especially from an under after player. Um, yeah. But yeah, dude, they're just in such a bad spot and the, the trade deadline's rapidly approaching. Um, and it's kind of difficult to predict how the, how the market's going to shake out uh, at, at this time. Just, it, like oh, the Knicks are the, the team that's willing to give up three first for OG and Anobi. You guys know what kind of picks the Knicks <laughs> They're have. They're all They're so terrible. protected. Yeah. They're so terrible. It's like yeah, okay, none of this is worth the Lakers pick. Which by the way, the you know the Pelicans could end up in a situation where their own pick is worse than the Lakers, and there's no swap that's occurring, and their own pick has a shot for Wembenyama just because of how weird the standings are, and the Pelicans just aren't winning um, yeah. right now. They just desperately got to get back uh, on track. So. He, you know, this is the part of the podcast where I'm going to transition to like more long-term stuff. Kind of touched upon it earlier in the podcast. Um, I, I talked about, hey, like you know, when you're when you're looking at Zion and Bi, you got to figure out like if this is this is what you want to build around. Um, I, I, you know, I don't think there is any trade available at this deadline for for one of those players. And, and again, I have to supposedly put a disclaimer out here for the people that are are don't understand things well but i'm not looking to trade either of them i'm not shopping either of them i'm merely discussing the prospect of building a team around two frequently injured folks and if you had to look the other way what do you do um and i don't think in even in this world like you move either of them at the deadline but i do think this summer uh there is a little bit more of a conversation depending on how the season plays out i I can see it going a few ways. One way is Zion comes back. They're all healthy. They go into a really good playoff run, and there's no need to ever have this conversation again, right? You you know, they, the, whatever injury concerns for either of them were <clears throat> they had this season, they're in the past. They had a good playoff run. You know, you know what you need to add around those guys. You move forward, you know, without any question. That's one way it could shake out. Another way it could shake out is they just have a disappointing season whether, you know, maybe they miss the playoffs. Maybe they, they, they're in the play-in and they just don't even make the playoffs. Maybe they fizzle out in the first round. You know, I think in, in those scenarios, conversations about 
their future as a duo need to be had. Not saying moves need to be made, but a conversation needs to be had. And and in my opinion, this summer is probably the peak value you can extract for Brandon Ingram relative to his contract. Here's why. He's extension eligible this summer. He is uh, entering his third anniversary of his deal. He'll be able to add three more years onto his deal. So you'd have two left. He'd be able to add three on top of that for a total of five, three with the new money, um, with the new raises. And typically players don't agree to that unless they have made an all NBA team. And that new money is real big new money, um, you know, kind of like Towns and, and, and Booker. And so typically teams, well, players will wait for their fourth anniversary when they have one year left on their deal. Um, and I think those guys had, I could be wrong, man. I'm, I think those guys had options and that's why like uh, on their contracts and that's why it was, uh, you know, they agreed in the third year, but typically a player like Brandon will wait till his fourth year one, giving him another opportunity to make all NBA to be eligible for that thing Two, It adds four additional years of the big money onto his deal rather than just three. So it's just more money all around. Um, so, you know, I don't anticipate them agreeing on extension this summer, but generally when you get to that fourth year, that's, the following summer, not this summer, you have a choice. Either you agree to an extension or you don't. And when you don't, the jig is up and the player's value just plummets precipitously in terms of the trade. You know, he enters un- unrestricted free agency. Your options become limited. Um, sure, you can get a lot, but you get a lot more this previous summer. And I think any deals that first stars at the deadline um, by nature are just diminished in value. Like, I don't really like doing star deals. If you look at like all the star deals that have taken place at the deadline, like he went for what you know he went for that much so boogie <laughs> exactly boogie um you know like even look at cj right um the the sabonis halliburton thing was interesting and that's like i think best case scenario but but neither guy i don't think was was perceived as a, a star at that at that time with halliburton and with with sabonis but sure yeah, yeah. uh and and so with, with brandon specifically his peak value is at this summer are you entertaining this, uh, this just idea of like, all right, we just go in a different direction and build my, my preferred way. If they decide to sever the partnership between those two players, if I'm not saying they should, if they decide to do that, the player they should build around is Zion. And I don't think that should be a controversial take. I think his highs are higher and you can accommodate one guy missing games because he's given you like when he when he gives you when he's back is just astronomically high that it's you know worth trying to build around um and so they should try to build around zion and, and they should look to improve the team around him if they decide to sever that partnership but that that's where i'm at um what what are you what are you thinking about this potential situation um last point first i, I agree that if you if, if forced to choose one to build around it has to be zion i mean like he's a that what he does on the basketball court is not something that's replicable. I mean, you, you, you've seen, we've seen it this year, uh, just the tear he was on until he, you know, hurt his hamstring. Um, I'm not, I don't think I'm as close as you uh, on the, uh, you know, on as far as Ingram and, and, and considering moving him. I, I certainly, um, I, I think you've, like you said, you've got to let the season play out. I think you have to, acknowledge the fact that this these two guys haven't played together like it's it's the same it, it's it's like time is a circle like we're talking i remember we were, like it feels like like just yesterday we're having this conversation with the 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 del, the del demps era team of, of drew eric gordon tyreek evans ryan anderson and anthony davis like 
It was the sky was the limit for that group. And I buy that. I still buy that. I think that team in the era they were playing in was very appealing as far as the different ways they could potentially beat you. But they were never healthy together. You never saw it. And so I think I've been burned enough by those aspirations of, of, of what could be with stars uh, and with your, your core players long enough to be more willing to entertain a change. If you don't have the, you know, if you don't have a, a the ability to prove that these guys are going to be able to play together when it counts. Um, that said, I'm not, you know, I certainly do want to see the season play out. And even like, you know, even if things don't go the way we want, uh, I'm still not probably not that a point where I'm actively looking. Uh, I, 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 you know, I would, if there was a guy out there uh, that we, that, you know, the Pelicans thought was available, a star level player that they believed was a better fit and would be a more reliable player to, from a health perspective. Sure. You have to entertain it. Um, but I don't, I, I think the, the last thing I'll say on this is that there is, the, the Pelicans have done such a fantastic job over the last year in building a culture and building a group of players who want to be in New Orleans. And look, that could all be lip service once the team the team falls on hard times, right? And and, and players are are bitching about their roles, things like that. But I do feel like, like Brian Ingram. Ingram. Yes, but I do feel like Brian Ingram was that first guy who who really, you know, started the uh, this. You know the, the the Pelicans that we knew up until this losing streak. Like I I feel like he did buy in to New Orleans to the city that the, the fan base you know, loves him. Um, the the injury delay notwithstanding, so I feel like there is that element to consider, um, and it would influence to a smaller degree my decision making process on moving him. But yeah, so that's so that's all I'll say. A lot of things to consider. I don't think you're out of line by any stretch and, and thinking about this because again, they haven't played think Zion and Ingram have not played enough together for us to be confident in that being a consistent, reliable path forward. Yeah. I mean, I, I think your, your take is fair as well. Um, you know, I, I think my threshold for, you know, moving him is, is I think a little bit lower than yours in terms of I'm not necessarily looking for an, like an established star. Uh, if, if one is available, wow. Um, that's great. I think that would be, always be the priority. I, Jordan, my Smith. <laughs> yeah. I, know, I, know, I know you're talking to Seth today, or you already I need did. So. That. I'm on, I'm on, uh, <laughs> Seth Partner's show this yeah. afternoon here shortly. Uh, <laughs> anyways, um, yeah, I mean, like, I think my team building philosophy is always, always, always like get as many star players as possible, and part of that includes keeping Brandon Ingram. So, like, yeah. my priority would be to extend him this summer if possible lock him into that i know it's only three years but that would be my priority to get him on that extension first um but you know if if that's not possible and detroit came calling and they have a top pick and let's say it ends up being not Wembenyama, and they build an offer around that top pick i'm listening because that's my pathway to another star right if charlotte comes calling and they get not Wembenyama and it's the scoot pick, but they want to be good because their ownership, you know, MJ wants them to be good. Um, Mitch Kupchak drafted Brandon Ingram. That's his guy, right? Uh, I am listening to that. I'm not saying I'm pulling the trigger. It, I would have to see the other components of the deal, but if there's pathways for me to get star level talent, 
that's indirect, I'm listening to it. Likewise, like, you know, when the Paul George deals happen, um, the first one, he went for Sabonis and Oladipo. Indiana kind of made a bet on those two young guys. Both of them ended up developing into all-stars. Oladipo had a phenomenal year, made all-NBA, all-defense, uh, all and then, you know, his knee just completely gave out on him, and he hasn't been the same. And Sabonis has been a rock-solid all-star his whole career um, and is having a wonderful year this year for the, for the Kings. Um, that's a model I'm, I'm willing to look into, as well as the second Paul George deal, which is, they got a young up and coming guy and a bunch of picks. And I don't think like Ingram's going to command the level of picks that Paul George got at that time, uh, especially because part of it was the Clippers needed that deal to be done to, to get Kawhi like that. that they, they, there was a bit of leverage there that the Pelicans are not going to have um, by identifying like maybe who the next like SGA is going to be uh, tougher, tougher, easier said than done. Right. Yeah. Um, but that, that's a model. And likewise, like the, the Sabonis deal where it was like Sabonis for Halliburton and got a, like a very clear young upcoming guy that, you know, fits your, fits your team and that kind of ethos. Like that's, that's what I'm looking for um, because I'm looking at the stars who are available and it's like, well, Towns might be available. He's on that super max. He's gonna be making $60 million. Yeah. I don't think I want to invest in that. Next to Zion, and, and I'm not entirely convinced he's better than Brandon. Okay, he's off the table. Trey Young might be available. Uh, that makes me uneasy. He might be a better player than Brandon, uh, but you know that there's just not going to be any defense on the court. Right. Um, and and guys, you know, there's you have to consider the fact that players just don't like Trey Young. That's uh, why John Collins <laughs> wants out of where, where he's going. Um, and so, okay, that makes me uneasy. Um, I mean, who was left? Was it DeJounte Murray? Is Atlanta going to give up the guy they just gave up a bunch of picks for? Is that, uh, does that make you satisfied? Uh, I don't know. Damian Lillard, eh, Bradley Beal making the $60 million. I mean, like, first of all, Damian Lillard, okay. he's a very, very good player. And I, you know, like if CJ wasn't on this team, like that's, that's a conversation I'm, I'm more willing to have, but CJ's on this team. And I don't think you're getting rid of that contract anytime soon. Um, you know, so it's, it's just difficult to go, you know, go down a list of stars who might potentially be available and find I'm, like the established. I'm confused. Are you trying to, are you making the case too or not to trade Brandon Ingram? <laughs> I'm saying <laughs> that the, the model for looking for an established star is going to prove difficult. Yep. And so the case to trade Brandon Ingram would be defined to be, to get younger. And by younger, I'm not saying Brandon's old. I mean, younger contractually looking at first contract guys going into their second contract rather than, third contract guys or guys going into their third contract or fourth contract. Like that's what I'm talking about. And, and you just kind of reset your tax uh, status a little bit around some of the younger players, hoard more assets and then find the next Brandon type player who becomes available yeah. and trade your assets for him. I just can't, I can't get there. And, and I feel like, so if, if there's a guy they can trade, I, I'm, I'm not in the camp of going trade, trade for even, even like, if you can make the case that the assets you're trading for are equal in value to Brandon Ingram. Um, I, I have a problem telling Zion, telling CJ, we're going to take a step back, um, you know, to, to be better in the long term. I, I think that's a, that's a, that's a fairly hard sell. Um, and I also, I don't think it's a hard sell if the guy doesn't play games. Yeah. Um, you know? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think I think teams look at star player, look look at the ceiling for those players, and that's. I, I think that's kind of more of the thought process and 
I, like if the, if the guys get pissed at BI because BI is not playing, that's one thing. But like, I don't think I don't see that as as reality. I I, just, I, I think that um, I'd rather have BI uh, a, 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 a star, whatever you want to call him, super, like obviously if you don't want to call him a superstar, like a, a a legit star that um, you know th- that wants to be in New Orleans. He plays a position that Pelicans have historically had a really hard time finding. Um, I'm gonna ride with that guy, even if you tell me that his that you're going to, his peak value is going to fall off a little bit after next summer. I would rather ride with him than trade him for like a pick that you're planning to turn into something else. Like, I, I just think I, no, I, I, I get it. I think, I think they would have to fill the roster with other things. Uh, they would have to like, you know, let's say you went and got John Collins. It's like, okay, you need to add enough, like win now players in the meantime uh, to, to bridge the gap to justify that. So like, you know, if you're, if you're doing a Detroit thing, it's like, you've got to be getting Boyan and other people as part of that trade. It's like, okay, yeah, you're not getting Brandon, but you're getting a guy who is six, seven can score uh, and can give you at least, you know, like a fraction of the production that Brandon's doing. Um, uh, if, you know, if not better shooting, but less, you know, like playmaking and, and, and all the other stuff. Um, and so, yeah, like it, it, it's not a complete, like, let's just go young and let's mm-hmm. just like, you know, lean into the next, this next guy, but you have to find a way to find productive players producing now that'll still make you a good team in the regular season. Cause I do believe a Brandon less team with Zion healthy and all like, you know, like some key role player additions can still probably win 50 to 55 games uh, in, in any given season. If you get enough health out of Zion, but that's a big, if it's a huge, it's a huge, if, right? that's a big, if. Like I, these last couple of games with BI getting back into the fold, notwithstanding, like I, I think that one of the things that you saw this season was even without one of the stars, the Pelicans were built in a way that they could stay afloat uh, and and be not just afloat, but be be decent. Uh, and, and so, um, you know, hopefully that we write the ship with, with BI and he starts getting back in the form and the Pelicans look like the same Pelicans team that closed out last season without Zion. Um, but I think if you go there, I'm looking at Dallas and I'm saying, okay, well, when Luca doesn't play, that team's like a dumpster fire. Um, and Zion has much less, makes me much less hot, comf- confident from a health perspective than Luca does. And so if that's really, if that's the path you're going down, I'm not saying the roster would be as bad as Dallas is without, without Luca, but it's, it's, it's a similar concern is all I'm saying. Yeah, totally. And I think it's a completely understandable and fair, uh, but you know, I, I think we're we're all in this kind of agreement where Brandon, like we want Brandon to be on the team, we want him to be healthy, and we want this partnership to work out. Like that's priority number one. So, but you know, people are gonna take it as <laughs> however they want to take it. Look, I, I think your big message is one hundred percent well taken. That there need that your two best players need to play <laughs> to to be the team that you want to be, and, and and if you're in three or four seasons. Um, and it's almost look. It's a little. And they need to play like max players. Like yeah. when they are playing, they need to produce, and that's a separate conversation. Where I think Brandon will yeah. get back to that production, but it's just yeah. like they need to produce. Yeah, and I, I do, I do want to say this is probably a little unfair to Brandon in that a lot of this is because Zion is so unreliable to stay on the floor. Like if you had a, a star, let's say Zion had no injury concerns whatsoever, I think you can, I, I think you can get by more, more with Bi being less available. But Mason, they did get by. They they were first in the West until you know, like, how, like, yeah, like, 
I understand where you're coming from, but they did get by. They were winning games without Brandon Ingram. They were doing their job, and he he was let off the hook. Whereas in any other team in any other you know circumstance, I I I think people are severely underestimating, um, like what kind of went on with this kind of stuff. And if he was in any other market, he would have just been eaten alive uh, by the media, by by the you know the constant questions and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think Zion being Zion let Brandon go under the radar for a very long period of yeah. time, longer than that was, than was necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So anyways, um, fun stuff in Pelicans land. I really, truly hope the next time we're recording, there's some kind of fun trade yeah. that we can talk about or, you know, complain. A win? <laughs> or a win. That'd be cool too. <laughs> oh, oh, I don't know, dude. I don't know what wins are like. I haven't won. They haven't won. Have they won in the new year? I guess they have won in the new year, but... Three and thirteen in January. I can't remember the last time they won a game. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, no good. I, <laughs> I just, I, I, I'm not sure I can handle the what, what we chatted about this morning. Uh, the Lakers potentially beating the Pelicans and tying them in the standings like that. That game being the thing that does it, it's just gonna, it's gonna be brutal. I'm gonna, I'm gonna need a trade to like help me cope. <laughs> Here's something that will help us. Uh, at least entertain ourselves, albeit depressingly. Um, I'm going to leave you with a question. Will Kyra supplant Devante in the rotation before a trade happens? No. <laughs> no. What, what makes, what would make me say, think that that, like, if anything, he's getting minutes earlier in the game. Like, Devante Graham is now playing the, he was the first guard off the bench against the Nuggets. Like, I have, uh, look, Willie's gone from starting Jackson to, to banishing from him from the rotation like a million times. So I'm not saying it can't happen, but I, uh, I, 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 I don't know, man. When when they made that CJ trade, Garrett Temple was still in the rotation, and Devontae <laughs> was still the starter until a few games after. This. You know, it took it took some time. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. All right, that's all I got for you. But we do have a sponsor, wonderful sponsor called DraftKings Sportsbook. Are you ready for the biggest Sunday in sports? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 57, has all the Super Bowl action you need. New customers can bet just $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, all customers can get in on the Super Bowl 57 excitement with DraftKings Happy Hour Super Boost. Check the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day between 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. EST. Uh, to see what the prop bet will be boosted. Um, you know, I, I love the Super Bowl, so I'm definitely going to be betting on that thing. Football is my favorite sport. Uh, Diehard Lakers fan. <laughs> Diehard Lakers fan. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use the code BOOT, B-O-O-T. New customers can get bet $5 on the Super Bowl 57 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly only on DraftKings Sportsbook with the code BOOT. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Please see show notes for, for details. Anyways, folks, appreciate you all listening.